Well, good morning again. Welcome to the Firehouse. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. We're excited to have you this morning. We are going to keep trucking in this Believe series. We're looking through the Gospel of John and looking at the miracles that Jesus performed throughout it. And so this week we're doing one about the man that was born blind. Uh, before we get started, I hope you all enjoyed the 4th of July weekend. Good. All right. Yeah, we we tried to maximize our firework potential. So Sunday night we went out to the Rapids game in Commerce City there and enjoyed a good fireworks show. And then Monday night we were out at the Weemans for the fireworks show, just just into Adams County there. And we just continue to learn that on the Fourth of July, Adams County is like some kind of demilitarized zone, and there's like things dropping out of the sky and blowing up. And I know there's a few more things legal there, like you can actually shoot off some fireworks works and unlike Denver but I'm pretty sure a lot of people might have gone beyond that but it's fun to just kind of watch um, as the fireworks went off there a lot of fun Jeff I don't know if it ever quieted down so you guys could get to sleep but it might have been might have been a continual encore out there um, so that was fun but we're glad to have you back this weekend uh, why don't we pray and then we'll get into the gospel here God we thank you for today uh, we just thank you for your blessing, God. We even thank you in the heel of the 4th of July, God. We thank you um, that you put us uh, in this country together. God, we thank you that you've given us the freedom to um, to worship together. God, to hear your word, that we can advertise and hand out flyers, that we're going to be uh, a church together in your name. God, we're thankful for that freedom. And uh, we do pray for this morning that you just bless this time. God, redeem the next few minutes here. God, we pray you speak to each heart from your word. God, it's living and active. And we just pray you really bring about your truth and have each of us just be ready to respond to it and take action this morning. Amen. All right. Well, we are in John 9 today. So it's page 1061 in your house Bible. So you can find one on the chair in front of you or on the seat on the floor somewhere. John 9. As he went along, talking to Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I could see. 
Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. So they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked him? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now this is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees were with him, heard him say this, and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Right. So again with this miracle, we see a man sitting by the side of the road. They ask him, saying that he's been begging. Obviously he can't support himself being born blind. And the first thing out of the chute when they come upon him is that the disciples are asking Jesus about him. And they make... They make a basic mistake in what they were thinking, why this man was blind. 
first thing we read is his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the disciples start out this whole thing with a basic assumption. If you sin, hard things will happen to you. It won't go well. If you do good, God will bless everything in your life. It's going to be easy. You'll be rich. You'll have a pleasure-filled life. That's kind of the assumption they're going off of. They've got to blame someone for the sin that caused this blindness. And if you recognize that, there's actually a major group of people that hold that same teaching today. If you've heard of it, it's kind of called the health and wealth gospel. If you've heard of that, there's a lot of people, especially on TV, that like to share this. If you give your money to my ministry, if you obey, all good things will happen to you. You'll have lots of children. You won't miscarry. You'll have money. It'll be easy. Life will be good. If you give to the church, you'll get ten times more by tomorrow, no problem. But if you sin, you don't give your money, then things will be bad. And that's the theology they had right out of the gate. And, and, the, and Jesus speaks back to this. He says, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. In a way that can be challenging to our theology because we want that easy answer. I can give the hard times of that health and wealth gospel, but our thinking can tend there of when I'm doing good things, nothing bad should ever happen to me. It should all be easy. Uh, but obviously that's not God's plan and how He works. It's just the easiest and everything goes well when you honor Him. And the first, the first point up here is that instead, God works in a way that brings Him the most glory. God wants to bring Himself glory in this world. He wants to bring Himself glory through people's lives. And He's more concerned about that going on, about His purpose being fulfilled in a life, than in making it easy of always giving money and ease to those who follow Him. He's concerned about His glory. Um, some of these other things we're going to list up here are things that we think maybe God should be more concerned about. Like what's easiest for us. And I wrote, he, he doesn't do what is easiest for us. He doesn't always work that way. We want Him to. Um, he doesn't even necessarily do what we ask for. It's the next point there. Sometimes we ask of God and we've got the wrong thinking. We're thinking selfishly. We're not thinking of the big picture. It doesn't go just the way we ask it. He's got a bigger plan out there. It's not always in the ways that we expect Him to work. Um, we can sometimes limit God. We, we can say, I understand every way God should work. If that man sins, he should be blind. There's someone we can, we can blame it on. But God doesn't always do it in the way we expect, the way we're thinking. And another thing God says in His Word, in one of the ways He works in our life, one of the ways hard things can happen, is that people come to belief in Him. Uh, you could write this down, I'll share it, you don't need to turn there, but Second uh, Peter 3.9. It 
says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's working in a way in your life that you'll turn to Him. If you don't know Him or not, I mean, if you know Him or not, God wants to work in your life so you'd have a relationship with Him. I know before, before I knew the Lord, God was doing things in my life that would draw me to Him, that would cause me to not rely on myself, to know my own frailty, to know my own sin. He did this in a way to draw me to Him. And He has that plan for each of us, that He puts things in our life so we can have the best chance to come to Him. Another important thing to realize is not all hard things are punishment. You can think anything that someone has going on hard in their life, that's a punishment. Um, You can think anything I have hard going on in my life, God must be punishing me for something. Sometimes God just has a bigger plan to draw us to Him, to humble us, to use us for His glory, to use us in the gospel. The last thing I put up there is beware of judging people based on hard times in their life. It's so easy. It's what the disciples did here, and it's so easy for us too. We can have that same thought. If I see something hard in their life, they must be in sin. I know it. God wouldn't let that happen unless they were in great sin. And we can walk down that road. But beware. God sometimes has has a bigger plan, has a bigger picture than what we see going on. Just think of some of you know um, Mark Darling. He's a pastor in our movement out in Minnesota. If you're at Faith Walkers when we were in Omaha, he was with us out there. When I thought of this, I just think of his life. Mark is a man that he's been a pastor for as long as a lot of you have been alive, and he's been walking with God. And he's a man I look up to in the faith. He's a man that's encouraged my life. But he hasn't had an easy life. Um, he shared in, in teachings of faith walkers and stuff that as he was trying to follow the Lord and figure stuff out with his, with his wife and, and as his kids were younger, he had really hard times just supporting his family. He was working sales jobs and he remember sitting next to a fax machine just trying to pray that a sale would come in so he could pay rent. And on the day his rent was due, he'd just sit there and say, Lord, I can't pay rent unless I can make some kind of sale today, unless you bring something in. God, I need you today. And he was living in a trailer park trying to, to make ends meet with his job. And he was following God, but that he didn't immediately become rich. Believe it or not, becoming a pastor later, he didn't immediately become rich. I don't think he is to this day, because being a pastor... And things even got harder in his life. His daughter went through immense um, health troubles that she was in the hospital for years and years and, and just had no... Um, they just kept trusting in him and had no sight of getting better and it just went on for years and years into her teenage years. Um, and eventually, I think some things have started to improve there. But it's easy to think Mark must have done something wrong to get in that position. He must have sinned. God's punishing him. He's punishing his family. Hard things wouldn't happen like that to a righteous man. But I think we need to be aware when we get in that thinking. Obviously, there are times where God punishes us. 
But it's not always that way. He allows hard things that we might turn to Him, we might display glory. I think God has used Mark and his family and Jessica in great ways that they've continued to praise Him through hard times, that they continue to look to Him, um, and maybe even a greater way than God would have been able to without those things in His life. And it's been encouraging to see that, but we need to be aware of judging someone in a situation like that. So as we go in here, we kind of pass this little theological thing at the start here of why the man's blind, and we get into the healing. We'll talk a little more about the particulars of that later, but it, it kind of goes over it quickly and just says, even in response to the questions the disciples were asking, um, Verse 6, it talks about the healing, and it says, Having spit on the ground, he made some mud of the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So it's kind of a, a simple thing there, not a lot of interaction between him and Jesus when he gained his sight there. The encouraging thing I think here is that the man comes home seeing. And a lot of the rest of the chapter is about how he tells of what happened, how he shares with other people. God gave him just a wonderful testimony of what God had done in his life. Um, and he uses it to share. And in verse 9, he tells them that he is that man that was born blind. Even, even in verse 12, at this point, I don't think he fully knows who Jesus is. He knows his name. He's, he heard him passing. He talked to him and told him to go wash and he'd see. But he gives an account of what he knows. Um, and God gave him a unique story to share to bring him glory. And um, God, the next point there is that God has given you, each of us, a unique testimony, or just a story of what he's done in his life to bring him glory. God made each of us the exact way He wanted to. We were born in the exact house. We came to Him at the exact time. That we'd have a story that would bring Him glory. And we have a choice of what we're going to do with that story. The example of this man is that He was very bold with it. Um, In verse 13, it says they brought Him to the Pharisees. And he starts to share his story. I wonder if they thought the Pharisees would like this story and wanted to know, or they were trying to get under the Pharisees' skin. I don't really know. But they bring him to the Pharisees. And he simply just shares his story about what God did. He said, He put mud on my eyes, verse 15, and I washed, and now I see. And then even later, he goes into a little more detail. Um, we'll talk about some of the implications, but he, he starts to call him a prophet in verse 17 and says, how can a mere man give me sight? And some of the things I notice, it's cool to see that obviously the, the Pharisees were very upset. They put him out of the temple, very upset with what he's sharing, but they can't really argue with his story here. Um, you can go a few points. Maybe the next two on there. 
you know, I just put that your testimony cannot be argued with. It avoids quarrel. We saw with this man that he had a very unique story about what God did in his life, about coming to him, but implications about who God would be. That he has to be God to give someone sight. It was a testimony that the Pharisees obviously were not very happy with. They'd just thrown him out of the temple a little earlier to threw Jesus out. But they have a little trouble arguing with this testimony. He says, this is what happened. I was born blind and Jesus gave me sight. So they run and get his parents and try to have them kind of falsify his testimony. And they say, well... This is what we do know. He was born blind. So you can, ask, you can ask him. He's of age. So it kind of backs him up a little bit. And he continues to use that testimony to share. And it's encouraging to see that the Pharisees, even by the end when they throw him out, they can't refute his testimony because it's what God gave him. That's what God did in him. And such is the same with us, that God has given you a testimony. And there's a lot of things we can say that people might argue with. I can make all kinds of statements about God, um, about how we're in sin, about how we need God, about how He died for us, about how Jesus was, came as a man and was a real person, that I could go out and share and people would start arguing with. But if I just share a simple testimony about myself, it's hard to argue with what God did in my life. Those two can go hand in hand. But the next thing there is that God gave it to you specifically to share. Um, God gives you a testimony so that you have something to share with people about what He's done. Um, and, and that can really team up with the truth there. He starts to get into, after He shares His testimony, He starts to get into some truth, which is good. But our testimony is just simply sharing about what God has done um, in our life. And what we know about God to be true. And one thing I'd ask you today, even if you're new with us, just to think about, is you know, a testimony of what God has done is specifically in a time when God did a work in your life that you turned your life over to Him. There was a specific time you got a hold of your heart and you turned your life to God. You turned it over and there was a turning point where He, he got a hold of you. And I just encourage you, do you have a testimony like that, that God's done a work in your life? Um, And if you do, do you have it in a way that you can share it with other people? You can share it concisely. You can share it in a way that brings God glory, that points to the fact that He's God. In a way like this man did, obviously they were seeing the implications that He was God through His testimony. Do you have a way that points to God that can get into the truth with your testimony. We're going to talk just a little about the miracle itself um, as we're going through the series, just how it points to Jesus being God. We talked about the start of the series again that all these miracles were recorded, that Jesus did them so that people would see His life and know that He was God in the flesh. He wasn't just a man. And this miracle fits in with that. Um, If we look back, right before this chapter starts, we'll back up just a little bit. Jesus is in the temple. He's talking to the Pharisees. 
Verse 58, he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this point, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus is making a claim here that he's, he's an eternal being before him. Uh, really, he's saying, before Moses was even there, I, I was, insinuating that he's God there, and they throw him out of the temple for this. So obviously the, the Pharisees, the last time they see him, he's insinuating he's God, and they throw him out of the temple. And so the next thing they have happen is this man walks in and says, Jesus gave me sight, so that you can see why they might have been a little... Uh, unhappy about this whole situation Uh, verse 7 like some of the other miracles it says so the man went and washed and came home seeing and once again it's cool to see that Jesus works just instantaneously and gives him sight God just spoke into beings to this miracle and it happens it's cool to see God's power just continue to work in these um I think another cool thing that just points at what this miracle might have been saying about God, verse 28 to 30 here, it says, um, it says, You are this fellow's disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. So the Pharisees are saying, We're disciples of Moses, and we know God speaks to him, but we don't know about this man. And it's kind of cool to see, verse 30 through 33, the man kind of refers to, to a prophecy. He says, now that is remarkable. You don't know where it comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man. He does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. When he says nobody has heard of anyone opening a man's eyes, and the guys that just talked him to Moses, I wonder if he was referring to this test, this uh, thing the Lord had spoken to Moses in Exodus 4, right before uh, Moses went to speak to Pharaoh. Um, there's a little back and forth between him and God that he doesn't want to go speak, that he doesn't have the words, that he's not eloquent. And... Um, Yeah, Exodus 4, verse 10 and 11. Moses says, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I don't know for sure, but that's one place where the Lord says, Who makes a man see or be blind? It's the Lord. There's also a couple of prophecies in, in Isaiah where it talks about that the Messiah that would come would, um, would make the blind see and he would make the lame walk. And a couple weeks ago we talked about the lame man that walked from by the pool and now we have a blind man that's seen. He fulfills these prophecies that Messiah would come and do these things. So when the man says this and says, nobody has ever done this, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
I think that's immediately why they throw him out of the temple after this because he's saying there's prophecy that the Messiah would come and the blind would see and the lame would walk and it's happening. This man is not on his own. He's from God. It's part of the reason that they throw him out. And it's interesting even the last verse we have there as they throw them out, verse 34, they very publicly give the same kind of thinking that the disciples were thinking. Verse 34 says, To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw them out. They made the same assumption that he must have been in sin because he was blind. And how dare he lecture us and who God might be that gave him sight. part here it talks about 35 through 41 the last few verses here talks a little about some interaction between Jesus and the man and the Pharisees all together and we get a little window into where the Pharisees are and what their thinking is and I think it's a good warning for us verse 39 It says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What he's getting at here is that the Pharisees were self-righteous. They thought in their own eyes that they were good, that they were obeying the laws, that they could see, that they could see spiritually. And obviously they've made an error here that Jesus is correcting them with, but they think they're good. Um, The the next point here is just that self-righteousness is no righteousness before God. That's kind of maybe a churchy word, but self-righteous just means to be right in your own eyes. Being righteous before God is being right in His sight, being right according to His commands, being right in an eternal sense. It's a lot different than what we think. There's some ways we can be self-righteous that I thought of before God, some things I've thought before. And have you ever, ever thought to yourself, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. My sins aren't that bad. I haven't done that much. I think I'm. I think I'm okay. You ever thought, you know what? Maybe I have sin, but at least I'm not as bad as um, Osama bin Laden, or you know what? I'm not as bad as my coworker. He does worse things than me. I saw him get do a little more on Saturday night than I did. Have you ever said to yourself, you know what? I don't need God. I'm okay. My life's going okay. I'm a pretty good person. Now, those are a lot of ways that we can be self-righteous, that we can think we're right in our own eyes by ignoring maybe what God's standards are in the same thing. So the, the first point under that just says, beware of being right in your own eyes. 
I don't remember if I got a verse on there, but Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. You know, in our own sight, we're all right. We all think we're good. We all think we're right on everything. And everybody else, get out of my way. I'm right. That's true of all of us. We all think we're right. Um, there's another proverb even that says, I put it on here, but it just says that a testimony of a man seems right until there's more witnesses. <laughs> a man's testimony always seems right the first time. Even as the Lord is a witness, it becomes clear. Um, but the Lord will weigh our motives behind that. He'll weigh what's right based on His truth, based on, based on His commands, what He said is right and not right. Another verse I'll share there is 1 John 1.8. I think it's on a slide, but it says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I've been there. It's easy to say, boy, that's a bad guy. That guy in prison, he's got sin. He needs the Lord. I'm okay. I don't have that much sin. I'm a pretty good person. I help people out, keep my lawn green. Things are pretty good. Use paper bags instead of plastic. I don't know. But but God has, has a bigger view there. If we say that we're not in sin that we have none. God says we're deceiving ourselves and there's no, the truth is not in us. Um, now a verse I think of on this is Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person has sinned. That's why that last one talks about we're deceived if we don't think we have it. Um, And the self-righteous, they're blind in their sin. See, the Pharisees thought they were without sin. They thought they were right. They thought they were holding on to the law the best they could. They were putting people out who were in sin. They were trying to follow. They were obeying the Sabbath. Yet they were in spiritual darkness. God says, if you think He told them, Jesus says, verse 41, Now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So He's saying, you're self-righteous. You think you're a good person and your guilt remains with you for that. It's a pretty strong correction to them for thinking they're okay, for thinking they're right. And the converse of that, speaking of this man, the man comes to him again and believes in him. Verse 38, he says, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. He believed in the Lord. He received sight. He received sight spiritually that day that he could see that he needed the Lord and to turn to him. And it was because he was humble and he knew he needed the Lord. And I think of uh, even the start of this book of John. John 1 talks a little about this, even specifically about the light and the darkness.
John 1 verse 10, speaking to Jesus, says, He was in the world, and through Him the world was made through Him. The world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Even verse 8 says, He was not... Um, so the true light, I mean verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Talked about how the world was in darkness. John was speaking to Jesus ahead of time, and he says, Jesus is the true light coming into the world that they would see. And if we jump back down to verse 12 again, he talks about how we can see. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So how do we get that sight in spiritual darkness, in darkness of the world? It's through Jesus, it's through receiving what He did. John spoke of Him, saying He would be the light that would come into the world and they would reject Him when they saw Him, which was true of most people. But He spoke of how He could receive that, just like the man simply said, knowing that He was the Lord, what He had done, He said, Lord, I believe. I believe, I need You, I believe You, that You are God in the flesh. And that same thing is true with us, that we need to be humble, know that we have that sin, know that we're in spiritual darkness, and receive Him. The last point is that the humble receive righteousness. When we're humble and go before God, and we receive His Son, God says you'll be made righteous, you'll stand before Him in cleanliness, That's exciting. By accepting Him, that happens. But as long as in our own eyes we're right, He says we're in spiritual darkness. Um, I just encourage you to think about that this week. Kind of a heavy message, but God is concerned about where our hearts was. And just like, just like the man born blind, He's doing everything in our lives. He's working everything in our lives that we might turn to Him. That we might know we need Him as we do. But He works it so that we might realize that and turn to Him and put our belief in Him just like this man. And if we continue to to come up with some of those excuses and some of those ways to get around it and be right in our own sight that I talked about, it doesn't hold a lot of weight in God's sight. But we need to be humble and come before the Lord and look at His Word and look at what's right and wrong really and not just in our sight and God will give us grace in that. Um, That's what I had to share today. We've got one more miracle to do next week and then we're going to, after that, talk about the ultimate miracle. And in that week, we'll talk a lot about how we can become righteous before God, how we can turn from being right in our own eyes to being right in God's eyes. I encourage you to come back the next couple of weeks and um, just keep hearing.
hearing as we go through this this journey of how these miracles point to God, how they point to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, this is a challenging passage. God, it's challenging because you want to expand our thinking. It's challenging because you call us on the mat. And we think we're right in our own eyes. God, I just pray you'd help each of us examine your word. God, and compare, compare ourselves to what your word says. Compare our lives to your word. God, help us have hearts to be humble and turn towards you and receive your righteousness. God, we thank you that just for the gifts you've given us in Jesus, God, we thank you that by simply coming to him and believing in him, that man was saved from his blindness physically, from his blindness spiritually. And God, you offer that same thing to us when we're blind spiritually. God, help us just humbly come before you. God, be searching your word and be responding to it. We just pray that you'd just bless this week. I pray you bless each person in this church in their week. And we just thank you for the chance to come together and hear from your word today. Amen.